0: So if, 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 I, if I didn't have that to say, I was planning, I was going to say something really slick like this. Happy Easter, Remembrance Community Church. Yay. And you guys would be like, wow, that's the wrong holiday. Maybe, maybe, you have, uh, maybe you had to work last night and you didn't sleep. Well That's true. I did have to work last night and I didn't sleep, but... Um, the reason why I say happy Easter is because we 've been traveling through the gospel according to john it 's twenty nine ch- or twenty one chapters and we 're in chapter twenty and this morning happens to be about the resurrection or Easter morning so even though it 's not Easter you know on your calendar it 's Easter in this room okay and so we 're going to look at this and so the resurrection is incredibly foundational when I talk about Jesus' words, when he says, build your house on the rock, you could say this foundationally with our belief. The resurrection is foundational to the foundational beliefs that we have. The resurrection is everything. The resurrection is incredibly important. If Jesus rose from the dead, then fill in the blank. That's where I want you to start this morning. If Jesus rose from the dead, then... Then what's the implication of that? How is that how is what is that doing in your heart? What is that doing in your hope? What is that doing to your schedule? What is that doing to your priorities? What is that doing to your dreams? What is that doing to the purpose of your life? If Jesus rose from the dead. To so if. To so if. Tim Keller's a a, a pastor in New York, a brilliant, a lot of people call him Yoda, if you like Star Wars. He's very smart, is what, what that is. But he doesn't talk like backwards like Yoda does, and he's not green. But other than that, he's Yoda. And, and here's what he says. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he did not rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue of which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. What is he saying? He's saying that if Jesus rose from the dead, then you might not agree with everything that you see him say, but he rose from the dead, and you didn't. So it's probably a good person to listen to. That's what he's pretty much saying. He's saying if Jesus rose from the dead that's foundational now i think that if you if you if you if you look at the church if you look at church history you'll see a lot of ugliness but if you look at jesus i mean jesus was rad it just happens to be the icing on the cake he rose from the dead he could have been anything and he happens to be rad so we worship and we celebrate and so jesus is this incredible person jesus claimed to be guy he lived for 30 years with a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters all of that in the bible he's just a guy Right. And he claimed that he was God. He was doing miracles. He died on a cross. People witnessed it. It was public. They buried him in a public tomb. Three days later, he was gone. And he, he wasn't gone forever. He showed up again alive. He rose. That's what I mean when I say he rose from the dead. And John was one of 12 people who spent three years with him. Invited to walk with him for three years. Everything that he said, everything that he did, they saw it. He wasn't like some guru up on a mountain that everyone talked about years later and, and, and made myth. These are people who said, I, I was eating dinner with him and he said this. I was, I was hanging out with him. We were walking along the road and this is what happened. Some of it's like, like it's, it's embarrassing stuff you wouldn't share. Any of you guys ever, like, you go on a road trip and you do something dumb, you trip and fall and, like, scratch your chin, and then you're like, you go home and that's the first thing you want to tell everybody? No, you're not going to, I had the greatest, the greatest thing. I'm so dumb, I tripped and I fell, I scratched my chin, right? We don't do that. We don't tell about the embarrassing things, but we look at this gospel and it tells about embarrassing things that happen. Why? Because it's true. because he's just telling you what happened. So, what does it look like to build your life? On the resurrected Jesus. What does it look like? In your notes, the first thing, it's a pregame warm-up, is this. If the resurrection is true, then it should change everything. That's what, that's what Tim Keller says. saying if the resurrection is true, it should change everything. But has it? See, sometimes I think in the church the resurrection the truth of the doctrine of the resurrection becomes this thing that we say that we believe because we're christian and Christians believe these certain things and we sing about it but just move back from that and take 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 what john is saying and what you're going to see is he's saying it was a real person like Je- jesus rose from the dead is not just a doctrine it was something he witnessed with his own eyes it was something he experienced It was something that this guy who had a mom and brothers and sisters, his brothers and sisters thought he was nuts. It says that in the Bible. It said they didn't even believe him while he was in this ministry. Until he rose from the dead, then they became followers. If you could convince your brothers and sisters that you're God, you might be God. All based on the fact that he rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 17, Paul goes like this. He, he reverse-engineers this idea that the resurrection should change everything. And he goes like this. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, he reverse-engineers it. He goes, let's just, let's just hypothetically say Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That is not true. He said, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testify about God that he raised Christ Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're we're liars. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. That's that's verse 17, up to verse 17. Thankfully, there's a verse 20. He goes, but God did rise from the dead. But Christ did rise from the dead, he said. But if he didn't, then we're fools to be here. But if he did, but if he did, it should change everything. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then whatever you're addicted to, there's hope. If he could rise the guy from death, he could help you through whatever it is that you're going through, financial, emotional, circumstantial, relational. Jesus can help. If he could, if he could rise from the dead, he could do all things. If he rose from the dead, N.T. Wright is on the other side of the Christian spectrum. From that's why, I, if, you ever, if you ever understand, like, how do I study the scriptures? I like to look at what everybody says. Who's a Christian? I like to get commentaries that are on this side and this side, and and then and then figure out where I'm at. N.T. Wright is very far from Tim Keller, and I love them both. They're two of my favorite guys to read. And he goes like this. He goes, we could cope, we could cope, or the world could cope, with a Jesus who ultimately remains a wonderful idea inside his disciples' minds and hearts. The world cannot cope with a Jesus who comes out of the tomb, who inaugurates God's new creation right in the middle of the old one. What is he saying? He's saying a lot of us, we like the idea, the doctrine of the resurrection. But when it, when it slaps you in the face and you, go, you realize that it's true, do you like it revolutionary, revolutionizing your whole life? Do you like when he turns your whole life upside down? Do you like when he asks you to change your behavior, change your thinking, change your priorities, change what you do on a Sunday? Do you like that? But if he rose from the dead, it's worth it. And N.T. Wright says the world can't cope with a people, a Christian people. You ever wonder why people hate Christians so much? One, that they they don't do themselves any service, if we're honest, a lot of times. But the other factor is, people who know good and nice Christians, who are respectful, they still hate something about it. They hate the exclusiveness. They hate that you would say, oh, this Jesus rose from the dead, so he's God. That means all other gods are, are not God. They don't like that. But Jesus came, and he showed up, and he rose from the dead. I look at it like this. If you had a medicine cabinet, and it, had, it was just filled with medicines, and you were really sick, and one of those medicines could heal you, would you, would, and you knew that. Would you appreciate it if someone said, hey, there's some medicine in the cabinet, help yourself? Which one? Do I have to try all of them? Are all of them equally going to heal me? No, only one of them is going to heal you. Would you be mad if they said, it's this one right here? This is the one medicine in the medicine cabinet that can heal you. We'd be thankful, right? And so that's what, that's what Christianity is. It's us saying, Jesus rose from the dead. This is what you need. But not everybody likes that. But if he rose from the dead, We have a firm foundation to stand on. Our faith is not a foolish faith. Our faith is, in fact, an intelligent faith based on fact. That's what John wants you to see this morning. John is going to try to convince you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And it'll be up to you, and literally it'll be up to the Holy Spirit in you, to show you what to do with that. To show you what your next steps are. So let's dig in. John chapter 20. And we're going to read a long section. From verse 1 to verse 18. And we'll read it together and then we'll dig in a little bit. He says. John speaking. He goes now this is, this is what happened. He goes now on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. In his, his perspective. He's talking about Sunday. Easter morning. Now on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, it happens to be John the writer, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. She says, we, it's only Mary Magdalene, but the other gospel accounts tell us that there were many women. And so we see there are, in fact, many women. John just is highlighting this one. because she's, she's don't, You don't go, we, unless you're weird and you're talking about yourself in the third person. And I don't think she's that weird. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going towards the tomb. And both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter. And reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed. As for, uh, for as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, she stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, And that he had said these things to her. That's John's account of the resurrection. It's an eyewitness account. He's saying, I was there that morning, and this is what happened. What does all of this mean? What well, we're going to look at this morning, what we see from John is this. That the resurrection is a historical fact. That the resurrection is a personal invitation. And that the resurrection is a global mission. And we'll start with the resurrection is a historical fact. It starts off with a woman, a group of women. They show up early in the morning. It's still dark. To the tomb, which everyone knew it was Joseph of Arimathea. They knew what tomb it was. It was, it was not too far from the cross. Just three days earlier on Friday, before sundown, he had been buried in this, and they watched it. They watched them roll the tomb over it. In the other gospel accounts, it says that Pilate was worried that maybe somebody would come and steal the body because he had claimed that he would rise from the dead. And so he, he, took, he took Roman soldiers. It would have been in a, in a group of four. They, always, they, they worked in battalions of four. There would have been four Roman soldiers that stood guarding the tomb. How long would they guard the tomb for? They would guard it for at least three days because there was a, there was a, a belief in that time that for three days your body hovered o- over the grave. That was the belief in that time, the superstition, that for three days your body would hover over the grave. And then it would go to wherever it was going to go. That's why when Lazarus rises from the dead on the fourth day, it's such a big deal. Because it's the first day that there would have been no hope. So they would have... Guarded that tomb for at least three days. And these women show up early in the morning. There's still one more day to guard it. There's no guards. Which would have been weird. That would have been the first thing. There's no where's the guards. All we see is nobody. And the rock's gone. The stone's been rolled. And she doesn't know. He says she doesn't get it. She, what does she do? She turns around and she runs. She finds Peter and John. And she tells them, someone stole Jesus. So what do they do? They turn around and run. And John gives us a detail that's interesting, right? I ran faster than Peter. (laughs) He says it like three times. So the resurrection is historical. We just see this story. It's an eyewitness account. First of all, what are some of the ex- possible explanations? That's all, she says, I got there, it was, it, the, the, the rock was moved, the, tomb was, the, the stone was rolled. Now, it would have been very well designed, it would have been a big stone. It would have been, basically, Jesus was in a, in a cave, like a tomb that was carved out of a cave. And it would have been on a hill, so that when you closed the tomb, it would have went downhill, so it would have been easier, and it would have been very hard to open. That's how they designed it. So, the fact that it was open was like no small task. And so, Mary's trying to figure it out. Like, she still doesn't know that Jesus rose from the dead. She's like, What happened? What are some possible explanations? What could have possibly happened? First, the, it could have been a mistaken tomb. That's one thing that people say it was a mistaken tomb. Maybe, maybe they're at the wrong tomb. That's impossible. It was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Notice Mary, just in this story, Mary runs up. She knows where it is. She goes and gets Peter and John. They run up to the same tomb. They know where it is. Everyone knows where it is. It's Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. They could have went to public record. He was rich. Said, which one's the tomb again? And then found it. Had it not been the tomb, the Jewish leaders would have come, ah, you guys are fools. This is the tomb. They would have produced the evidence, but they didn't. But that's one of the things, mistaken, wrong tomb. Maybe he was moved. That's what she thinks. He was moved. Who moved him then? Some people think maybe the disciples moved him. Okay, so the disciples who were afraid of even, they just bailed three days earlier. Now all of a sudden they came up to four green berets and beat him up and then rolled the rock. Right? And then nobody, the the Roman guards didn't, didn't, didn't produce this story later. It's foolish. The disciples didn't move him. Maybe the Romans moved him. That's one of the things that they would have thought. Maybe the Romans said, he's a peasant. He doesn't deserve to be in this rich guy's tomb. Let's move him to a slave tomb. But then later, when they were accused of losing him, why didn't they produce him if that happened? Maybe it was the Jewish leaders. Same thing. Why didn't they produce him then? No, no. They, there's, it just doesn't make sense with the facts that they moved him. Maybe he was stolen. There was a rare... That you would have had a a a, a grave robber would have come and stolen a a body, but they wouldn't have done it for the first three days because for three days people would have come and mourned. There would have been constantly people coming to the tomb. There would have been guards. It just doesn't make sense that he was stolen. He's not really dead. Maybe he's not really dead. That some people say he swooned. Okay, so Jesus hung on a cross. He was beaten with a verbratio which almost beaten half to death. Hung on a cross. They put a spear through his heart sack, and then they laid him in there for three years, not in a trauma center. Somehow he got like blood transfusions and and healed, and then was strong enough to take his stuff off, roll that tomb away, beat up four guards, and then where is he? Right? It's ridiculous. All of the explanations are ridiculous. Except one, Jesus rose from the dead. Physical evidence, we see the tomb was easy to find. The stone was rolled away. The burial, the burial clothes were, were, were there, but the body wasn't. If Jesus was stolen by robbers, guess what? They, most robbers don't go into your house and then steal a body and then take the headcloth and fold it up, like he says, and put it real neatly in the corner and then leave. Right? He's giving you all of these details that are amazing. If you're a lawyer right now, and John is, you're, you're, you're working for John, you're like, this is good stuff. This is a good witness. This is stuff that I can sink my teeth into. No evidence of foul play. And the fact that the opponents were not able to produce any evidence to prove otherwise, this is solid physical evidence. This is if the glove don't fit, you must acquit type stuff. Right? If you're gonna be a if you're gonna be a lawyer, what you're looking for, you're looking for physical evidence, you're looking for eyewitness accounts, good, credible eyewitnesses, and you're looking for a consistent timeline, right? Any of you guys seen Making a Murderer? That's where I learned that. Right? So we know these things because we watch TV. Right? And TV is right sometimes. But but physical evidence is a really good deal, right? And, I, and credible witnesses and a, and a timeline. That's what John gives you here. That's what you need to see. Why does he give you all these weird details? Because it's true. Because it's true. Credible witnesses. First of all, if John, John is the key witness. He's the eyewitness. He's the one telling you what happened. If the first thing he tells you is that women showed up at this tomb saw the stone rolled away, and came and told them. If John was making this up, that would have been the stupidest thing to put in the narrative. Because in their time, not that it's right, a woman's credibility was zero. In a court of law, if a woman was a witness, some people would give her half credit, most people would give her no credit. For John to try to compellingly tell you I have a woman who's a witness would have been the foolish thing if he he was making it up. Why does he put it in there? Because he's telling you what happened. He's just telling you what happened. What did Mary, John, and Peter gain by holding to this, this story? Well, Peter's life became really hard and then he died on a cross upside down. John lived a long life of persecution, boiled in oil one time but not dead, put on a, an island and left there all alone, right? Mary, we don't even know what happened really to Mary, right? What do they have to gain by, 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 by holding to these things if it's not true? They suffered for a, what they would have known was a lie. Are they nuts? No. They saw something. They witnessed something. Why mention the race? Why does John mention that they were running and he beat Peter? Some people say it's a competition thing. He's like 90 years old probably when he's writing this. I don't think that he's worried about the fact that he beat Peter in a race. It doesn't make any sense. He's telling you what happened because he's telling you the way he remembered it. He's excited. He was there. He goes, we were just sitting there. It was three days later, right? And Mary shows up. She's like, the tomb is rolled away. And why did they took Jesus? We just started booking, right? We just started running. We're running. And I just know I look back, and I'm like, I'm beating Peter, right? <laughs> and I got to the tomb. And I, I got to the tomb. I look in, and I go, wow, he's gone. But now there's this burial stuff, and then I stood back, and then Peter showed up. Well, he you know Peter, he just went right in, right? And he goes in there and he's like, dude, dude, there's there's a thing folded up. That's what he's saying. He's like, I was there, it happened. This is what I experienced. That's a credible witness. It's a consistent timeline. We know Jesus died on Passover. He died on Friday. He was buried before sundown. How do we know that? Because that's when Shabbat started. Sabbath. It starts on Friday at sundown and it ends on Saturday when the sun goes down. It's it's the Sabbath. Jesus we know was buried before the Sabbath. That's why they wanted him the legs broken and the, and he was already dead so they didn't break his legs. He he was buried before sundown. The work. Jesus' last words was what? One of his last words. He only said seven things in six hours on the cross that's recorded. He says it is finished. What? The work. The work is finished. What do we know from Scripture, the way that God created things? Six days he did work, and then what? And then you rest. Jesus dies on a cross. He does the work of the cross. All Saturday was the Sabbath. And then he rested. And then on Sunday morning, sometime between sundown on Saturday night and Sunday morning when Mary shows up, Jesus rose from the dead. He, he, he li- when, when you look at the Greek, he, literally when, when he goes, uh, he, 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 we found his burial clothes in his head it's not like it was folded neatly. It's literally, it was still rolled. As if Jesus just walked out of it and it was still looked like his body shape. Like a cocoon. That's the way that the Greek is, is written. So that Jesus just walked out of his burial clothes and he walked away and he waited. What did he wait for? He waited for Mary to show up and then Peter. Well, actually, John, he wants you to know. And then Peter. And there's this consistent timeline and he rises. He rises from the dead on what the Jewish would have celebrated as first fruits. First Corinthians 15, Paul says he rose on first fruits because he was the first fruits of many who would come after him. That's us. Jesus rose on Easter morning. He rose on first fruits. He rose on the third day symbolizing that the work has been done, the Sabbath is over, and a new week is starting. A new journey is starting. Everything is new now because the resurrection has taken place. Everything is now new. And now he wants you to go out and tell everybody, everything is new. Go out, live like everything is new. Tell everybody, you're invited in to everything is new. The kingdom of God. And we see that the resurrection is personal. He calls us by name. Think about it. I love testimonies. Anyone else that loves testimonies? I mean, doctrine is cool. You know, facts are cool. I love to hear people's hearts. I love to hear people's stories. One of the things I love about people's stories is people will tell their story about how they came to know God and they're wildly different. God is so creative. But he knows you by name. And he knows how to speak to you. Think about it. Every detail of that tomb, Jesus folded that. He he came out of his, his, his clothes. He knew John would get there first, look in and see that. Then he puts a little cool something in the corner for Peter. Peter shows up. He has a message, right? It's his head thing, right? And then... There's Mary. Mary's different than John and Peter. She needs more. She still can't figure it out. What does he do? He sends some angels. Two angels are sitting there. And they go, Mary, why are you weeping? Why are you so distraught? Oh, my Lord's gone. Really? Because she's just like, she must have been in shock. Well, he's gone and there's two angels right here, you know, like start to put it together. But she doesn't. And then Jesus actually shows up. And Jesus is like, Hey, what are you weeping about? And sh- I don't know if he turned around or maybe the sun was in her eyes. Maybe she couldn't see. Who knows? Maybe she's just still in shock. She thinks he's the gardener. The title of my message is He's More Than the Gardener. Right? She thinks he's the gardener until when? Until she hears him call her name Mary. Mary. He said it like he said it so many times before. Mary me rabboni rabboni is like like if you you don't you know some people don't say hey dad they say papa rabboni mary he knows your name he knows we could have you guys come up here and you could share this is how i knew that i knew that god was real god left us historical fact but he also comes and finds us in a personal way The Bible uses language, he says we're chosen, we're elect, right? He draws us. There's a lot of theological debate about that. Here's what I think it means. I think when it says we're chosen, it means the opposite of we're chosen would be that we chose him first. We didn't choose him first. He chose us first. We didn't elect him, he elected us. You're going to do an election, he elected you. We're drawn. That means He initiates. He comes, finds us. We need to respond with belief. But He gives us everything that we need to respond with belief. He gives us historical fact. He gives us, people ask this question, they go, I don't know, uh, like what is it like to be in the presence of God? Sometimes it's very felt. Sometimes it's not very felt. It's exactly like how you need it to be. He gives you everything that you need. You couldn't describe exactly what it's like to be in the, be face-to-face with this Jesus Christ. You couldn't describe it, and we couldn't all share the same story. We all have a different story. Because God knows you, and He knows your name, but He comes and finds you. He came. They came to find Him, but guess what? They didn't find Him, then He came to find them. Is what we see on this morning. And he teaches us to listen. He teaches us to listen. She has to hear him say, Mary. He teaches us. He t- teaches us how to listen. One of the things he says that's debated about, he goes, Mary, don't cling to me. You notice he says that? Like, is she like super clingy? Everyone met anyone? Point to the person that you think's the most clingy in the room. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Right? But he's like, don't cling to me. Is he being rude? I don't think that he is. He's saying, Mary, I know you, and I know that you're going to want to stay here in this moment forever and ever and never let it go. You're afraid to let go of me right now. Mary, it's okay to let go. It's going to be okay. You've seen me. You've seen me, and now I'm sending you. Don't cling to me. Go and tell my brothers what I told you. Go. And tell him, you don't need the clingy experience. You need, you need just to remember. You need, you need to remember who I am. You won't always feel it. It won't always be this clingy. It will always be true. And the mission is go and tell. That's what we find. And he adopts us as family. Notice he goes, I'm going to ascend to my God and your God. To my father and your father. He's saying your family now. The resurrection is personal. He comes and finds you. He invites you. He teaches you how to listen. Our job is to obey. But he teaches us how to listen. Our job is to obey. And you're now family. We see in the resurrection. And, the resu- and we'll have the worship team come back up. The resurrection is global. John writes that we will believe. Why is John telling us that he beat Peter? Because he wants you to believe. He wants you to know this is true. Why does he say a woman showed up first? Because that's what happened. He just wants to tell you the truth. In John twenty thirty one, later in the chapter, he goes, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John writes that we would believe. Jesus sends Mary out. Did you notice that? He tells her, go and tell. Go and tell. Later, Matthew's going to record, before Jesus ascends, he's going to tell his disciples. Go and tell. Go and make disciples. Our our duty, our task, our, our privilege is to go and tell our story. John is telling you his story. It's scripture, so you can tell everybody John's story. But you know what another powerful thing is? Tell people your story. About how Jesus made himself known to you. Because people need to know that Jesus is Lord. So we're going to worship now. I'm going to read one last quote, and then we're going to worship. And we're going to do one song, and then we're going to do communion together. So so I want to close with this. And lead us into this next song. And then, like I said, we'll shortly, I'll, you'll be hearing my voice again. And we'll be pointing to Jesus and in, 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 in leading you through communion. But this is a guy, Lee Strobel. He wrote a book, Case for Christ. If you guys are wondering, is the resurrection true? You still have doubts. John's one testimony. There's three other gospel accounts. Jo- uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a great one. Lee Strobel was an atheist. He was an atheist. Who, who wanted to prove, not because he just didn't want to believe that Jesus, but he wanted to look at all of the evidence and prove that it wasn't true, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Here's his testimony from Lee Strobel. An atheist said this. He said, in short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably inevitably bring divine demotion in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take are you logical are you like Lee Strobel Jesus left you enough evidence are you more like Mary you need to you need to know this God you need to hear his voice I pray that he speaks his voice but more importantly I pray pray that you're listening are you listening do you want to know the truth Are you willing, if you do find the truth, to let it change everything? Because that, my friends, is the gospel.